Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. Well, welcome to the last day of January. We've been in this new year for 31 days now, looking at where you are now financially, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I would venture to say that your life looks a little bit different than it did on January 31st of last year. Matter of fact, I bet it looks different than you hoped it would look just 31 days ago when this new year started. And we can see all the inches and pounds that we've promised ourselves that we'd lose, but we haven't. We can see all the promises we made and haven't kept. Well, Haggai in the Bible was facing the same issue. He was an older man looking back on the glories of his nation. He knew what the nation was capable of, but they, as God's light, had diminished. And so now he wants to stir up his people. They tried to rebuild the temple, but there was so much opposition that there was just no motivation. And he addresses individuals as well as a nation who made some really bad choices in life. In other words, what they wanted trumped what God wanted. And that attitude and that mindset was passed down from generation to generation. And so God sends Haggai to break the cycle. Now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read that in the seventh month, in the 21st day of that month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. And so basically he's saying in verse 2, Speak to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, who was the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and give them this message. And this message was actually a question. And the question is, who is left among you who saw this house, meaning the temple, in her first glory? And then, how do you see it now? And so God asks a penetrating question there, In verse 3, how does it look to you now? Again, this is a great question to ask at the beginning of 2023. Because as we look back over 2022, we can see that some of the plans and goals that we sat in motion, well, they failed. And we've disappointed ourselves. We've let others down. We've certainly disappointed our God. Some of you have buried family members. We all know people who have walked away from their family, and others have just started their family with some precious babies. And as we look into this new year, what do you see? Most financial investors believe that the economy will continue to tank for the majority of the year. And we don't know what world events will take place. We don't know if there's going to be another hurricane like Delta or Laura or Katrina or Harvey. But one thing's for sure. Whatever changes around us, God's word, his comfort, and his promises will not change. We have something we can depend on when all else fails. And that's encouraging. Now, scientists have discovered that we usually see the things that we're prepared to see. It's called the RAV, the Reticular Activating System. And it works something like this. Once something has been brought to your attention and you've been prepared to see it, you'll see it virtually everywhere you go. When Laura and I were looking to buy a car, we were looking at all sorts of different models, and we finally 
landed on the Nissan Extra, which is the European version of the Nissan Rogue, mainly because it had the legroom for our sons, who are now taller than I am. Well, once we decided that the X-Trail was the model we wanted, we began to see them everywhere. Oh, oh, there's a red one. Oh, no, wait, there goes an orange one. Oh, that's the deluxe package with the luggage rack on top. And we saw them everywhere in the TV ads, in the pop-up windows on your computer that Google knows all about. And now that we actually have the car, my reticular activating system is now prepared to see it. And I see it everywhere. Now, for those of you who are married, it works something like this. Uh, and I know this doesn't happen in your house, just mine. But Laura will ask me to go upstairs and get something out of the bedroom. So I'll go upstairs and I'll look and then I'll say, honey, I, I can't find it. It's right there in front of you. Look again. Mm, I, I don't see it. It's to the right of the dresser. It's black. It's square. Nope, I don't see it. And so, frustrated with me, she will stop what she's doing, make her way up the stairs, and walk into the bedroom, and pick the object up that I was supposed to find, and hold it two inches from my face, and say, how long and how hard did you look? <laughs> and my answer is always the same. Well, obviously not long or hard enough, honey. It... it it wasn't there 10 seconds ago. I promise. I promise. <laughs> but we, we can look at a lot of things and yet still not really see what we're looking at. So I want you to see this new year from God's perspective. Why is that important? Because we see what we are prepared to see. If we're prepared to see no fruit and complete failure, guess what? That's what we're going to see. If, on the other hand, We've prepared ourselves to see and leverage the opportunities that the Lord has put in front of us, then that's what we're going to see. And so God says to Haggai, ask them a question. And he says, how many of you remember what the temple looked like before it was destroyed? And I'm sure several hands must have gone up. There were obviously some who were old enough who could remember the beauty of the temple when people came and worshipped and when the sacrifices were offered and when prayers rose up to God, you could just hear them respond. Yes, yes, we remember the exciting times of worship and the fellowship as people came together in God's house. And some were there in the beginning, but there was another group, another generation who wasn't there. And they couldn't visually see or understand because they had no reference point. So God poses the question to those who were there and did see it, and he says, so how does it look to you now? And what they saw was just a pile of rubble because the temple was in ruins. And in verse 4, he says, now be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, be strong, everyone, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. So three times, he says, be strong. Be strong to Zerubbabel, be strong to Joshua the high priest, and be strong to all the people. And here's the reason you can be strong. He says, I am with you. And as you read further in verses 5 through 7, he says, my spirit is still among you. 
So you don't have to be afraid. Matter of fact, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land just to show you that what I'm saying is true. You don't have to fear. You just have to get to work. And as I read that, Haggai's question just resonated with me. How does it look to you now? So let's ask that question from two different angles. So the first one is, how do you look to yourself? How do you look to yourself? When you look in the mirror, what kind of person looks back? Someone who's honest, sensible, surrendered, or how about someone who's bitter or irresponsible or even burned out? It's a humbling question. And honestly, we're not that great at answering questions that are pointed right at us. Let me give you an example. Every now and then, we as husbands need to take our wives shopping for new clothes, and there are some questions for which we will never have the right answers. So if your wife asks you, do you like this? Does this look good on me? Does this make me look fat? I've come to the conclusion that the only way out of that is to fake a heart attack. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just kidding, but you, you kind of know what I mean, right? The way we see ourselves and the way we want others to see us often doesn't line up with the way God sees us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, we read that God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, what's he done? He has shown that light in our hearts. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul says that we're clay pots, and the outside of our clay pot can crack and chip and not look as good as it did 40 years ago. But we have a treasure inside, and that's his light. And so instead of reminding ourselves that he's with us and in us and working through us, what do we do? Well, we just continue to make wrong choices. And we make bad choices all the time, right? It's kind of like ordering a five-layer combo burrito with extra hot sauce at the drive-thru at 10 p.m. All right, that's, that's never a good idea, right? But I'm not talking about those kind of choices. I'm talking about the ones that affect our heart and our vision. You know, most of the resolutions and promises that people make are born from regrets. Did you know that? For example, I resolve, starting today, to live with more patience. Well, why would you want to live with more patience? <laughs> because you regret the times you raised your voice, lost your temper, and said something that you can't take back. Or how about this? I resolve that I will have more joy. Joy? Why do you want more joy? Because you regret how many mornings you wake up mad or even bitter at your boss, your friends, your wife, or the situation you're in. And some of you have even resolved to be more disciplined with your money this year. Well, why? Because you regret how you handled your finances last year. And you might even be digging yourself out from a bad financial decision from four, five, six, ten years ago. Matter of fact, if we're being honest, most of our resolutions 
are nothing new. They're actually the same things year after year because we keep struggling with the same stuff over and over and over. And we get to a point to where we just don't want to try anymore because we know deep down inside nothing's going to change. And it's because we keep trying to up our level of commitment. But God doesn't want your commitment. He wants your surrender. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the very first Walking Together podcast where I talk about the difference between commitment and surrender. So, come on. How do you see yourself? Committed or surrendered? Then the second way to look at this, how does the world look to you? So what do you see when you look at the people around you? Sometimes we look at the people around us with our own eyes instead of God's eyes. We need to see them as people who desperately need a Savior. Tall, short, fat, wearing mismatched clothes, young, old, in between. Eight billion people. They all need Jesus. And through Haggai, God challenges us to see a world that needs redemption and to see ourselves as instruments that he wants to use to proclaim his message of salvation to those who are lost. So what do you see when you look at the world? How do they look to you? And the problem that the nation of Judah had was that they spent all their free time and resources on themselves. All they could see was themselves. In chapter 1 of Haggai, the Bible says in verse 2 that the people kept pushing back on rebuilding God's house. They kept saying, yeah, the, the timing just isn't right. We have our own stuff to do. We need to build and fix up our own houses first. But God warns them, both in verse 5 and in verse 7, hey, consider your ways. In other words, stop and pause long enough to take a look at what you're doing. You work, but you have nothing to show for it. You drink, you have the wine, the artificial stuff that's supposed to make you happy, but yet you're still not content. You've got clothes, but you're still not warm. Why? Well, because your hearts are cold. And he says, what you're doing, it's like putting your hard-earned money into a bag with holes. Now, in Belgium, we run our heater about nine months out of the year. And I had a favorite coat that I just wore all the time. But when you wear something often enough, you start getting holes in it. And my pockets started getting holes in it because I had put my hands in there so often to keep them warm. And Laura would send me to the grocery store for a few items. And without thinking about it, I just put that list in my pocket. And so when I got to the store, yep, it was gone. And I'd have to call her. She'd pick up the phone, and I didn't have to say a word. She'd say, you put the list in your pocket, didn't you? Uh, yep, sure did, honey. <laughs> See, Haggai's saying everything you've earned, it's gone. It's like putting it into a bag with holes. And then in verse 9, God makes a shocking statement. He says, whatever you work so hard for, whatever you brought home, I, the Lord of hosts, I blew on it. I blew it away with a puff of my own breath. It's gone. Not because I don't love you, but because you won't listen any other way. 
and I had to get your attention. You stay nice and comfy in your own homes because your priorities are wrong. Well, the people are convicted and they finally start working, but it doesn't last that long. And when this podcast is over, I want you to go back and reread chapters one and two. It won't take you more than about seven minutes. But please notice the way they abuse their time. In chapter one, verse one, we read that in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, the first day of that month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Now, when you drop down to verses 14 and 15, these verses tell us that God had to stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people. And if you look at it, it, this is now the 24th day of the sixth month. So it took them 24 days to get motivated to do something about it. Then we turn the page to chapter 2, verse 1. It's now the seventh month, and it's the 21st day of that month. 21 days in the seventh month. So now another month has passed, and they had to be reminded, come on, be strong. I'm with you. Come on, you can do it. You get the picture? Their resolutions were dying off. They were worthless. And then in verse number 10, it's now the ninth month, and it's the 24th day of that month. So another two months pass. And now he's trying to motivate the priests, the spiritual leaders. And God was trying to tell them, look, look, you're infecting each other with your attitudes. Get up and do what God has asked. And they just had trouble staying motivated. And I've met a lot of people who are burned out and they feel like maybe God just doesn't want them in the ministry anymore. But there's where the wheels fall off the cart. See, God has not called you, and he hasn't called me to ministry. He's called you and me to intimacy. And ministry is what happens out of the overflow of the ministry. You see what a big difference that is? He's not called you to ministry. He's called you to intimacy, and ministry is what happens out of that overflow. So the question is this, how do you look to yourself? What kind of person is looking back in the mirror? How do you look to yourself? Because that's where it all starts, allowing God to examine your heart. And then, how does the world look to you? Do you care about the eternal destiny of those around you, or have you become indifferent? You see, we need to see the world, we need to see the people around us as God sees them, people who need Jesus. And when you see the lost the way he sees the lost, you'll surrender yourself, and God will use you as he sees fit. Well, thanks for joining me today. Let's be like Haggai. Let's encourage the people around us to continue on in the work of the Lord. The promise he gave to them is the same promise we have today. I will be with you. So let's surrender ourselves and let's make 2023 the greatest year ever for the Lord. Well, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, download the episode, share it with a friend. I'd love to hear from you if this has been a blessing. We'll see you next time. Thank you.